This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello, I'm Carmen Pate, your host for today's podcast. Do you remember show-and-tell days when you were in elementary school? We would bring something from home to show our class and tell them why we were so proud of the object at hand. Have you considered the fact that believers who follow Christ are to show-and-tell every day? What are we to show? What are we to tell? Well, as we continue our series on a life of glory, Mark Ray will guide us through scriptures that clearly define the incredible object of our display and the one who brings triumph to our story. Mark is Vice President of Community Development here at Grace, and he has substantial history with Grace School of Theology, including being an original Board of Trustee member and a primary advisor from earliest days. Mark holds a Master of Biblical Studies from Dallas Theological Seminary and a Master of Divinity from Grace School of Theology. He has served churches as an associate pastor and as a lead pastor, and he has served as COO of a major evangelistic ministry. Mark will soon be launching the Grace Center for Spiritual Development, which we'll tell you more about in the weeks to come. But now let's listen to Mark Ray as he addresses show and tell in our series on a life of glory. How many of you remember elementary school? How many of you are still in elementary school? (laughs) Did you have a favorite part of elementary school? Might have been reading, might have been science, might have been arithmetic, might have been... That's... Everybody's favorite part was recess. Who said that? My wife. Recess, the favorite part. Well, I actually had a favorite part of elementary school, and it was what was called show and tell. Anybody participate in show and tell? At my elementary school, we had two times that we had show and tell. One was a show and tell that you brought something from home, and you got a chance to show it off and tell people about it, something you cared about. And the second part of show and tell was we had a pet show and tell. And so school was loaded with dogs and cats and birds and fish and all sorts of animals. It's my contingent today that we are supposed to live show and tell lives. And I want to give you a little bit of my own show and tell this morning because it happens to be sitting on the front of this stage. And it's these plants on either side. These are rosemary plants. And I have them up here to tell you just a little bit about them. I'm showing them to you, and I'm going to tell you about rosemary plants. Rosemary plants can either be big like bushes, or they can be low-lying. They're an herb. And when you get the oil out by a steam distillation process, the best oil comes from the top of the plant, and that oil can be used for perfumes and for soaps and for cosmetics. It can be used medicinally for headaches stress relief, coughs. It's also used, as an old folklore tale tells us, that if you put a piece of it under your pillow at night, you won't have bad dreams. 
In fact, the Greeks and the Romans used to burn it as a way to ward off any negativity that came in. The rosemary plant, the best part of it is this. Oh, man. I, I want to invite you at the end of the service to come up and rub your hands on a rosemary plant because the thing that is unique about a rosemary plant is it has the longest lasting fragrance of any plant God has created. And I'm here to tell you just that little rub like that. And by about 2 or 3 o'clock this afternoon, I'll smell it again. That smell just continues to be. It's a wonderful aroma that just stays on your hands all day long. We are to live show-and-tell lives, lives that show off the God of the universe. In fact, we studied that beginning five weeks ago, the first part in a 10-part series on the spiritual life. We talked about the word glory and that we are to glorify God, to manifest his character to the world. And in order to do that, we have to, the next week, conform to his character, which is a holy character. The hardest part about conforming to a holy character is we're not holy, and we saw that because of the advent of sin coming out of the garden, the Garden of Eden, and we had to admit that if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, we would have. But God saw that and wanted us so much to be able to manifest his character, to glorify him, that he brought in grace. And we talked about grace last week, the incredible, unbelievable grace that he provides that not only made us holy positionally in Christ, but works us toward being who we were created to be and who we are in Christ, and that is his holy creation. And so the question of the morning is this, if we know all that, since we know all that, how should we then live? Again, my contention is we ought to live show and tell lives. Lives that show off the abundant grace that's been lavished upon us so that we can tell others about who he is. Best verses I can go to, and I'm going to introduce a new little word to you this morning. But I want us to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. This little word in the Greek, threambuo, isn't that a great little word, threambuo, it's used six times in the Old Testament, one time in the New Testament. The only time it's used is here, and it's the word triumph. The word triumph, or some of your translations may talk about it as a triumphal procession. Paul's going to introduce a concept here that to us may be foreign, but to the church at Corinth, it was not foreign at all. In fact, it put a vivid picture image in their head of exactly what he's talking about. So let me read. We're going to start with 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 14, and we're going to stop there for just a minute. Verse 14 says this, Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in, and here's the word, in triumph, or in a triumphal procession in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Now we're going to look very specifically at this word triumph. We're going to dive into it. We're going to understand it. We're going to see it and how it unfolds in four different ways. First of all, we're going to look at the figure of Christ in this verse. Then in verses 15 and 16, we're going to look at the fragrance of triumph. We're going to then look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and that is the focus of triumph and finally the fulfillment of triumph. We're going to dig into triumph because Again, my contention is we live show-and-tell lives. The thing that distinguishes us as believers in Jesus Christ who have this abundant blessing upon us is that that should be reflected in how we live. 
show and tell lives. As we live life under the abundant blessings of God, it should be reflected in who we are and how we, how we live life. And Paul's going to give us the descriptor of that in the word triumph. This is where you hear about the triumphant Christian life or the victorious life. This is what Paul is talking about. So let's unpack it. In verse 14, Paul says, now thanks be to God. And he's going to point out three different people involved in this triumph, this word triumph. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. Now God has a role in this and his role is to lead us in triumph. And how often does he does that? Does he do that? Do you believe that? Do you feel triumphant today? Boy, did I get a resounding. <laughs> this scripture tells us that God always leads us in triumph. Now, let me give you a little further definition of triumph because it's not a happy face. The translation of triumph is this. It is a determination resulting in joy through difficult circumstances. Triumph is that how we live life in the midst of difficult circumstances, knowing that we have been graced and graced abundantly. And our focus is on the grace, not on the circumstance. Think about Peter for just a moment. He's walking on the water out to Christ, right? And when he's walking on the water and he's focused on whom? Christ. He is triumphant. The wind and the waves are blowing and he's walking on the water going to Christ. And the minute he takes his focus off Christ, what happens? He begins to sink. It's the idea that Paul gives us here of triumphant living because God always leads us there when our focus is on him. He always leads us in triumph. And maybe the question we ought to ask ourselves is this. If we're not walking triumphantly, if we're not living triumphantly with that determination through difficult circumstances, maybe it's because we firmly don't believe that we've been graced as abundantly as we've been graced. And to that, I would say, go back again and look at 33 divine gifts of grace that have been unfolded for us, grace that has come to us through no effort of our own, gifts over and over and over again for every single circumstance we come up against. And the biggest one of all is that we never go through it alone, no matter what it is. So God always leads us. His role is to lead us, and he always does that. And look at the bottom part of verse 14. He does that so that the fragrance of his knowledge gets into every place. You see, what, he's, what Paul's telling us here is when we walk triumphantly, when we live triumphantly, when we're triumphing through difficult circumstances, people see us and the knowledge of God becomes evident to everybody. Because believers should not be able to live triumphantly in the midst of difficult circumstances, and yet they do. And when we show that off, the knowledge of God becomes apparent to people. And so what Paul tells us is by how we show ourselves, God's knowledge penetrates the corners of the earth. And you can see that to this day. All the great things that have happened from people who have lived triumphantly in difficult circumstances have brought about God's knowledge everywhere. Missionaries around the world, hospitals have been set up, universe, all the different places that, have been, that, that, that believers have lived triumphantly in the midst of has actuated has started the beginning of the knowledge of God everywhere. And so what Paul tells us is that when we live triumphantly, understanding how well we've been graced, when we live triumphantly, God's knowledge goes everywhere. Well, there's a second person in this. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. 
Christ is the second one here because it's by Christ's work that we can live triumphantly. It's through the work of Christ on the cross on our behalf, that gracious work that he did to sacrifice himself, to die and be resurrected, that we not only have him for salvation, but we have him for sanctification. His death that makes us positionally in him secure forever. And his life in us that works us toward becoming who we were created to be, that holy individual meant to glorify God. And it's the work of Christ that brings those 33 divine gifts. And so what, what we see is that God leads us in triumph always in Christ because it's Christ's work, not mine. If it was my work, we'd fail miserably. But because of Christ's perfect work, God can always lead us in every circumstance triumphantly, no matter the circumstance, because Christ has already, he's already done the work. And the third person in this situation is you and me. I love this. Thanks be to God who always leads us, you and me, the believers in Jesus Christ, leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses. This is a great little word, diffuses. And so what Paul tells us is that you and I are diffusers of the fragrance of Christ to the world. That when the world needs to see Jesus Christ, it looks to us believers and the fragrance of Christ comes out of us and it permeates the world. We are the diffusers of Christ. And one of the ways we're the diffusers is at the very beginning of this verse, it says, now thanks be to God. We're a diffuser of the fragrance of Christ when we are grateful for who Jesus Christ is. And so we get these three great people, God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ through his work and his fragrance that goes before us. And we get the privilege of showing him off to the world as a fragrant aroma. Now that word triumph for Paul this is what a triumphal procession looked like in Rome. It was unique to Rome. And what would happen is this. When a general would go off and he would win a battle, conquer a nation or another country or another group of people, when he would come back, there would be a triumphal procession. So when Paul says he always leads us in triumph, this is what the people of Corinth would think about. There were Roman cities. So this, this incredible Roman procession would come through, this triumphal procession would come through, and it would be a parade. It would be unbelievable what would go on during that day as the general returned from battle. Now, there were some things that were very unique about a triumphal procession, and here they are. Here's what would happen in the procession of a triumph. This is really cool. First, that would come in the procession of the triumph, at the very front would be the magistrates of the city. These were the bigwigs. These were the guys that that were the, the status symbol guys in the city. Followed behind them were the senators. These were the politicians. Directly behind them were the trumpeters, the musicians. These were the ones that heralded, absolutely heralded the coming of the general in victory. Right after the musicians would be the captured spoils. These would be the treasures because you would increase the value of your own country when you brought the spoils back. It made you wealthier. And so the general was lauded because he would bring back the spoils, the treasures from that other country. Then would come the white gilded oxen. These were specific animals put aside to be sacrificed as a way of thanking the gods for the victory that was at hand. After that came the enemy captives, and they would typically be in chains. And so you would see the captives that would come in from this other land that had been defeated. Then comes a really interesting group of people. These are called the lictors. And what the lictors did was they went in front of the general, in front of his chariots, and they spread incense and perfume and flowers so that when a procession occurred, 
the fragrance of a procession filled the city. The lictors were those that pushed that fragrance out in front of the general. Then would come the general. The general would be crowned with a laurel wreath, wearing a purple robe, riding in a four-horse chariot with his family clothed in white. And finally would come the Roman legion, those under the general's command. That would be a, a procession. That would be a triumphal procession. Now, here's the interesting thing that Paul makes this distinction. The general in this case is Christ. He's the conqueror. He's the one who has come. He's the one riding. And listen to how he's described. He would have a purple robe on, the position of authority and power. He would have a laurel wreath crowning his head, no longer a crown of thorns. He would be riding in a four-horse chariot, which was that symbol of power and authority. And riding in the chariot with him would be his family, clothed in white, the symbol of holiness. Now, there have been scholars that have felt strongly that we, the believers, would be the lictors. We're the ones spreading the fragrance. And there's some, some thought to that. With this exception, when we trust Christ, we become part of the family. And where does the family ride in the triumphal procession? In the chariot with the general. The idea that Paul is painting for us here, the, the vision that Paul is painting for us here is that you and I as believers in Jesus Christ are riding in the chariot with the general clothed in holiness. In order to be able to glorify God, to manifest his character of the world, we have to conform to his character, which is holiness. And we don't do that. But we do it because of the work of Christ that makes us holy in him. The beautiful picture of us is this. Paul tells us very specifically that we are the ones that ride in the chariot with the general who now wears the crown of victory on his head. And we as his family are clothed in white. It's an incredible picture that Paul paints for us, this picture of the triumphal procession that we're in. And friends, make no mistake about it. You and I are riding in the chariot with the general. Oh, it's an incredible picture. The figure of triumph is the general. And it's the figure of Jesus Christ. And we have the incredible privilege of riding in the chariot with the general. You know what he wants to do? We ride in the chariot because he wants to show us off. What Paul's telling us here is that we ride in the chariot with the general to be shown off because he loves and has purified us so that we can ride in the chariot by his great work. Does that make sense? Do you get me? You hear where I'm coming from? And from that perspective, the beauty of it is that's where we ride. By grace, we ride in the chariot, not through any work of our own. And we ride with the victorious general, the figure of triumph. Paul moves in verses 15 and 16 to the fragrance of triumph. And now we get into the rosemary plant a little bit more. Paul says this in verse 15, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? We are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. Listen to what Paul is telling us here. Because there's three groups of people that Paul is talking about here that we are the fragrance unto. First is to those being saved. And what Paul is telling us here is that we have a role to play in those that God is wooing to himself. 
the ones that God is wooing to himself, we get the opportunity to play the role of being the fragrance of Christ to them. The attractiveness of Christ that draws them even further to himself so that they can have the 33 divine gifts of grace. They can have eternity with him and be the continual showers and tellers. We get the chance just by the fragrance that we give off, the fragrance of Christ that we give off, we get the chance to help draw people who God is wooing to himself. We get the chance to play the role of being part of that. Isn't that incredible? Now, begs the question, what kind of fragrance are we giving off? Is it the really sweet fragrance of Christ, or is it a, the stinky, smelly fragrance of me? It's the, we need to be looking at giving off the fragrance of Christ, because that's what Paul says. He says, we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. In other words, God is using us to be the fragrance of Christ to those being saved. So those coming to Christ, we get to be his fragrance. To those who are in Christ, it's those who are being saved even further into, into sanctification. Those who are coming closer in their walk with him, we get to be the fragrance to them too. So those being saved and those who are saved and walking closer with him, we get the chance to play that incredible role. That the fragrance of Christ emanates from us, and we get the chance to show people Christ more and more and more and more just by our actions, just by what we do and what we say. We get the chance to play that role with Christ. But then he also says this, and we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. For those being pursued by Christ, they're coming to life because he is life itself. And so the aroma that we give off is moving them from life to life, from life to deeper life, from life knowing Christ to life being deeper in with Christ. But to those who are perishing, to those who are, have rebelled and walked away, now you understand why there's persecution in the world, right? Because the aroma that believers give off to those who have rebelled against God is an aroma that's leading from death to death. They've already chosen death. They've already walked away from him. And so the fragrance is one that drives them even further because it's, to them it's not this pleasant aroma. And so believers who are walking in holiness, it's like light being shined in the darkness. They want the darkness to be there. And so for those who are walking in death, our fragrance is even more death, which explains persecution, right? And so this picture image that we have is that we not only ride in the chariot with the general, but we are the fragrance of Christ to the believers, to those becoming believers. We're also the fragrance of Christ to those who have walked away. And our prayer is that those who walk away will smell us <laughs> and will smell the goodness of Christ. So it begs the question again, what kind of a fragrance am I giving off? What Paul tells us is, to those who are coming to Christ and to those who are Christ, the fragrance of Christ in us can be a favorite smell to them. We are the fragrance of Christ in the world. Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, because the question now is, okay, so if I am riding in the chariot and I'm the fragrance, how do we do this? How, how does this come about? How does this fragrance emanate from me? And Paul doesn't leave us alone here. Listen to verse 18. Paul says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is a great verse. And it speaks very specifically to what we're talking about in the spiritual life here. Let's break it down just briefly. But we all, now who's the we he's talking about here? 
This is a letter to the church at Corinth, to the saints at Corinth. So it's talking about the believers, the saints in the church. So we all, so all the believers in Jesus Christ, we all with unveiled face. It's a great statement he makes here because he's hearkening back. And in the previous verses, he talks about Moses. And Moses, who, when he looked upon the backside of God, had to veil his face because the Shekinah glory coming off of him was too much for people to see. But what Paul tells us here is that we now, in Christ, our face has been unveiled. In fact, what he calls us is the unveiled ones, those of the unveiled face. Isn't that a great phrase? Wouldn't you like to be the church of the unveiled face? Isn't that great? We are the unveiled ones. The ones whose face has been unveiled because Christ has been revealed and we have seen God in Jesus Christ. I and the Father are one. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Looking and seeing the glory of the Lord. Now remember, glory is the visible manifestation of the character of God. So looking in a mirror, we see the character of Christ. Now, it's still a reflection because we don't see him fully. We don't see him face to face. But in this mirror, we see the reflection. We are focused on the reflection of the character of Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of the character traits of Christ. And our focus is there on the person of Christ. So we, beholding the glory, the character of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. What image are we talking about? What's the same image? The character of the Lord. So we are being transformed. This is the same transformation word that was the Mount of Transfiguration that Christ came into his fullness. You saw him for real for who he was. And what this verse is saying here is that when we focus on Christ and his character, we begin to be transformed into the same image of the character of Christ. What happens? My life begins to be transformed into the image of Christ as I focus on him. Remember Peter, when he took his eyes off of Christ, what happened? So when my focus is on Christ, I begin to be transformed into the glory, into the character of the Lord. And I love how God does this. This is the grace of God in that he doesn't dump all the character of Christ on me at once, but he does it this way. I'm being transformed into the same image, the image of Christ, that character of Christ, one character trait at a time. One character trait after the next character trait. This is called the sanctified life. This is as we work, the Holy Spirit convicts us of an error of our life. We focus on Christ, and as we focus on Christ, the Spirit begins to work, because that's the last part here. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord, He is the one that does the transforming work in us. Can I, out of my own strength and might, become Christ-like? It's the work of the Lord. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit in me as I focus on Christ and Christ's character that my life begins to be transformed into the image of Christ, one character trait at a time. Isn't that incredible? This is what we talk about grace. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. To begin to live like who I already am in Him, that holy being that His death and resurrection bought for me. And so this verse gives us an incredible distinction of my focus on him. And by my focus on him, the Holy Spirit begins to transform me one character trait after another into the image of Jesus Christ. But where's my focus? The one who's done the work, the general in whose chariot I'm riding. That's the one that I focus on. Paul says, focus on the general, the one who rides in the chariot, and our focus is on him and his character because the Holy Spirit works through me, transforming me one character trait at a time into his image so that I can glorify him and do what I was meant to do. 
Well, we've looked at the figure of triumph, and that's Christ. We've looked at the fragrance of Christ, and that's you and me. We've looked at the focus of triumph, and that's Christ. And now quickly, we're going to look at the fulfillment of Christ. And I just want to say it this way. We're to live show-and-tell lives. Here's what we're to show off. We're to show off a life of triumph, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. The reason why we show a triumphant life is because we've been incredibly graced by God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us this. We've been saved by grace through faith. Titus 2 tells us that this is by the grace of God, salvation has come to all men. And so we've been abundantly graced, 33 divine gifts of grace that have been lavished upon us. One of those things is holiness, that by Christ's work on the cross, we now can live a life that is holy because that's who we are positionally in Christ and that's who we're working on. You saw that in Hebrews. Finally, we're to live a life of glory. We're to show a life of glory, to show off God to the world. His character. That's a show life, but there's a reason why we live a show life. And the reason why we live a show life is this, so that we can tell others about the triumphant one. We can tell them about the triumphant one who doesn't leave me alone in difficult circumstances and through whom I triumph in life. We can tell them about the one who is holy and who calls me to be holy because I already am. And we're to tell the one who is glorious, the one who is glorious and who says, I am to show him off to the world. We're to live show-and-tell lives, and we're to live it uniquely because he's gifted each one of us uniquely. We're to do it independently. We're to do it together. We're to do it and be the fragrance and aroma. Why? Because we ride with the general in the chariot clothed in white. Each of us has a story to tell. When the world looks at you, what do they see? What do they smell? Do they see you riding in the chariot and living a life triumphant because you're riding with the general? Do they smell the fragrance of Christ coming on you? What do they see when they see us? Friends, we live triumphant lives. And we can live triumphant lives because the one who was and is and is to come always leads us in triumph. You have been listening to Mark Ray. We've been challenged and motivated to show and tell the world of God's marvelous grace and love. Thankfully, God is continuously preparing us to do that, triumphantly, as we seek Him and as we grow in Him. We hope you'll check out the many resources available through Grace, books, online courses, devotionals, and more to help you become more like Christ each day so that your fragrance to those you influence will be a sweet aroma. Find those at our website at gsot.edu. Now, you may have friends and family who need to hear more about God's amazing grace. We'd encourage you to share our podcast. It's a perfect way to start the conversation. So glad you tuned in today and remember that the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership. 